and we're live. This is Daniel Burnett with trainlikearanger.com. Today I have a very special guest, Maverick Willett. How you doing, Maverick? Good. How you doing, man? Great to see you. Great to be on here. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, really happy to be here. Yeah, I, I'm pumped, man. Uh, so we have a lot to talk about today, and uh, and I think you're you're going to be able to help a lot of people. And um, so tell us tell us about yourself and what it is that you're doing now with your with your page and your company and things. For sure, man. Um, well, uh, I mean, as as a lot of you certainly know, as, as Daniel said, I was in first range battalion, uh, actually at the same time Daniel was, which is actually very uncommon. I don't hardly meet Rangers period, let alone people that were in when I was and let alone in the same company. So that's, that's really cool. Um, so, you know, I, I am a veteran. Um, I, uh, now I've always been in the, the fitness space since I got out to an extent, um, really started ramping up the social media stuff when I got out. Um, now what I do is I am an online, uh, fitness and nutrition coach. I specialize in nutrition um, I help people, you know, achieve whatever goal they have, whether it's to, to burn fat, put on muscle, more confidence, improve their metabolism, thyroid, blood work, whatever it is. I'm kind of an all-encompassing um, nutrition coach, healthcare, you know, well-being uh, coach in that sense. Um, you know, I, I kind of do it all. So I do that full-time now. I left my, my full-time job uh, almost two years ago to pursue this full-time, which is really scary. But, uh, but yeah, now I've been doing that full-time since then and it's never looked back and it's just grown and grown. And I'm very fortunate to have the, the success I do now. Yeah. Very successful. And, and, uh, rightfully so, because you know what you're talking about. I mean, it's obvious just looking at you, you look like the regiment poster boy we all want to see. Um, so you know what you're talking about. I've looked through your post, everything that you say about supplements and nutrition is very educated. And so, uh, you know, you have a lot to offer and, and, you show for that too, through your physique. Thank you, man. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It, it's a, uh, the online coaching industry is, is very um, saturated and it's hard to find people who are actually um, well-versed and educated and, and can actually help people. A lot of people are in it for money and especially the high follower accounts. So I'm also trying to be that, that uh, rose amongst the thorns in this industry that helps people actually get healthier and create habits that are going to stick for life and help them, uh, not only reach their goals, but sustain them indefinitely. Cause I think that should be the whole goal, but absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I totally agree. I won't call any names, but I think we all know the guys who have the ads that pop up on YouTube all the time. Uh, some of those guys are saying some crazy stuff and I'm like, wow. And they have a large following and I feel bad for the people who are getting this misinformation because uh, some of these, some of these guys aren't uh, pushing the right info out in my opinion. Oh yeah. Some of the stuff that I've gotten privy to over the years, just being in the industry, you know, uh, in, in one way or another has, has would blow your mind. Just some of the stuff that I've learned about what the high follower accounts are actually doing, you know, what a lot of the coaches are doing with people's money. It's, it's kind of, it, it really uh, sickened me to a point where I said, you know, I have to, I have to be the person who's doing this right and, and make a change. So yeah. You, but if I, if I were to tell you some of the stuff going on, it, it would blow your mind. It's crazy. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and you're leading the way beyond the, the military. And uh, yeah, so I remember the first time I saw you in bat, I remember thinking, if I ever got a private like that, that would be terrible. Like you were, you were, you're a tall guy. And obviously, you put in the hard work and you're very uh, big and fit. And I was thinking, you know, if a private, if I had a private like that, and they just told me if I told them to do something, and they said, No, I'd be like, 
all right, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> uh, not really, but you know, I, yeah, no. I just remember seeing how big you were, but, and I was like, man, um, so yeah, you had a, you had a good military career. You were highly respected in regiment, but you had an injury, right? Yeah. I mean, in all, in all honesty, my, my military career was cut short and, and way before anything I really wanted to do was accomplished. I had high aspirations and, I was a high performer. I something I took I took very seriously. It was the first thing in my life that I really, really just took the reins of and and just went all out on. You know, the way I prepared, um, the way I was, I went about it, um, and I, I had high aspirations. But I, I got injured, as I told you, um, in a you know an airborne training exercise. We call it MLAT. Um, on a night jump, I, you know we we jump with our equipment, as you know, and uh, usually. We, as part of static line jumping, which is very dangerous in and of itself. Don't know why we still do it because we don't do it in combat, but um, we still do it as a, as a tradition. And I think it's a huge waste of fuel and, and people because so many people get injured and I'm a, I'm proof of that. Good soldiers get injured on those things, but regardless, we can go on and on about that for days, but you know, I did sustain a, a pretty bad injury. I herniated two discs in my back with some nerve damage and woke up the next day, unable to move from the neck down. So um, I, I rangered through it, so to speak, like I, I completed the mission and everything. And, and I had some pain in my hamstring and I was like, something's not right. You know, I feel weird. And then the next day I woke up and they had to carry me out. I had to call my team leader, um, come get me out of my room and carry me down to the, the clinic. And, um, they, uh, put an IV in me cause I was severely dehydrated from the night before and, um, ended up, yeah, with a herniated disc. And so I basically had two options at that point. I could, you know, rehab it and, attempt to have some somewhat of a half-assed career where I'd always be babying my back and be the last one on every mission and everyone trying to you know trying to pull my weight um or an office job uh and which neither one of those I I, did, I wanted to do you know I wanted to perform to my full capacity I knew that would never be a reality again with the severity of the injury so the third option was to you know move on to the next step of life so I, I chose to do that and, and medically retire. Yeah, and that's something you still have to work around uh, to this day, correct? You still take that into consideration. I've heard you, uh, I've seen a lot of your posts where you talk about how to work around that kind of injury, what you do to continue to progress while uh, rehabbing and and keeping that injury safe from more damage. Yeah, and, and a lot of people have that misconception that I look the way I do because I'm squatting and deadlifting 500 pounds every day. And that's just not the case. I, the work, workaround has been the theme of my entire fitness career since that injury. You know, I've found other ways to grow my body aside from squats, aside from deadlifts that would, would re-injure my back very soon. So after I was able to – I remember the day that I got cleared to just do anything. He, uh, the doctor in regiment at the at battalion at the time, he said, okay, you can go do bodyweight stuff. And I just went straight to the gym and did a bunch of dips and pull-ups. I must have did like 30 sets because I was just so happy to be back. Yeah. My legs shriveled up in the toothpicks and um, because of the atrophy. But I, uh, you know, through through trial and error, I found that I could leg press and I could do certain leg movements without pain. And as I progressed with my rehab, I was able to do a little more, a little more. And, you know, now a lot of the leg stuff I do is unilateral, do a lot of split squats, um, you know, nothing on my back. I'm not holding any barbell on my back. And, um, you know, this is all after the, and no deadlifts. I never do deadlifts anymore. I have to train my hamstrings by other means. And I've been able to develop quite a bit doing those things. So this is all after a doctor told me I'd never be able to do hardly anything again. So, you know, it's just kind of proof that if you're smart about it, if you're, if you have a good, you know, background education in strength and conditioning and, and rehab, you're, you know, you can, you can come back from something like that over time. 
I definitely agree. And, and you got to think like a lot of those doctors, because uh, I've had an ankle injury and they told me, well, you'll never do this, this and this again. And I'm doing all those things. Um, yeah. That's kind of what they're programmed to say. Like that's, they're taking the right precautions, but uh, it, just because a doctor tells you something like that, don't let it discourage you. I think there's always room to come back. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, I couldn't do the one thing I want to do most, which was run around with a machine gun or a rucksack on my back. You know, that was a proud of the cards forever. So that's, that was the main reason why I chose to transition out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't by choice. Um, and you see that with a lot of special operations, a lot of guys, uh, they don't typically choose to get out. Sometimes it's circumstances that uh, force them to get out. So, uh, yeah, you, yeah, you were a good one. We lost a good one, but uh, I'm glad to see you out here, uh, you know, leading people in the fitness world. And um, so that's good to see, you know, somebody like you continuing to progress in the way that you can. I appreciate it. I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. Very lucky that I got to deploy at least once before, before I got out as well. You know, not everybody gets that chance. So, right. Um, so uh, with, uh, with that, I think that's a good, good topic to flow into about transitioning. You said we were talking a little bit offline you were saying how, you know, the transitions are, you hit your highs and lows. And I would definitely agree that, uh, I've hit some low spots as well, transitioning out of the military. It's not, it's not all a cakewalk when you get out here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I can only speak for myself. Um, and, and I guess some friends I have, but the main thing is, you know, in regiment specifically, you know, there's a standard. It, you either meet it or you don't. And, and so in that regard, you hold everyone else to that standard as well, everyone around you. And the culture in regiment was, you know, you either meet the standard and if you don't, well, you're a piece of shit. You know, it's just how it is. Now you take that into regular society, does not fly. Um, you're going to have, you know, I, I was thrust immediately into a customer service slash sales job. I was very, I went into to the army with a degree. So I, I had that to fall back on and was able to get a job as I was transitioning out. Very fortunately at enterprise rent a car and uh, which is just straight customer service in your face all day and sales. So the sales part, I was awesome at, I had a goal, I had a, you know, a quota, I had competition. So I thrived customer service, horrible. I was, <laughs> I was like one, I was both spectrums. And so my managers both loved me and they hated me. They loved me because all the money I was making the business, but they hated me because all the customers I was pissing off. <laughs> and uh, that, that comes from that, that standard. I mean, I, I, I didn't get along well with my coworkers because unless, it's, unless they were high performing as well, you know? And so my manager had to sit me down one day and say, look, man, you've got your A players, you've got your B players and you've got your C players. All of them are necessary. And you, you, you need to learn how, because your next role is going to be as a manager, as a leader, and you're going to have to learn how to motivate those people. And you can't just, you can't just motivate a players. You have to know how to motivate those B and C players who aren't motivated by the same things as you. And so that was really good experience for me, not only from the sales perspective, but the, the customer service. And then, and then I got promoted really quickly because at enterprise you're graded by your sales first. And then as soon as you get promoted, now your manager sales don't matter. It's all customer service. So then I had to just go swing the opposite end of this pendulum and, and immediately start leading and, and, working on customer service. So that, that was great, great experience for me, but it was a struggle, man. It was a huge struggle. Yeah. That was, that's funny. Cause my first job getting out was, uh, I was mattress sales. Uh, and so that was, that was different. Um, for me as well, the sales, I did very good. Uh, I was very task oriented and, uh, and I knew I like from regiment, I got well-versed on the mattresses. I, I was able to tell people I was knowledgeable, but when it came to, certain customer service aspects, uh, wasn't doing too hot on that either. 
it's definitely right. different. And then dealing with coworkers. So the, uh, I was a store manager. So I'm, we had like four different locations. I managed one store and then somebody else managed another store and just trying to get them to do basic things, dealing with the delivery people. Um, you just learn that there's no standard out here. People are kind of looking out for number one uh, themselves most of the time. And that's kind of a hard pill to swallow. And the way that you lead people here out here is more through example and other ways. I mean, everybody responds differently. It's not like in the military where you tell somebody, listen to me, because you have to. Um, people don't have to out here. And so you got to lead in other ways. And so that is yeah. a struggle. Absolutely, man. It's, it's, you can't, you can't treat people the same way you did in regiment. I, I expected everyone else to be an A player because I was, and that's just, just wasn't the case. I had no patience for people who showed up late or didn't play by the rules or they cheated or, or whatever, you know, I called them out and, and it just wasn't, you know, it caused a lot of conflict. So um, the main thing is, you know, you take it and you learn from it and apply it, you know, and, and I had to develop a lot of self-awareness. You know, I, I was very uh, crass with customers without knowing it. A lot of times people would tell me, hey, man, you, you were kind of an asshole there. And I'd say, what? No, I wasn't. And then I would, it wasn't until I really, really started listening to myself and how I said things and monitoring it that I really gained some, some pretty good self-awareness from that job, fortunately. Yeah, it's a big transition to go from the military, uh, the, not only the military, but the regiment mindset to a civilian mindset. There's a major transition that has to happen. Yeah. And then, and then financially, we'll get into some other stuff. I won't wear you out about this, but financially too. I mean, it's way different. It's way different out here. There's a lot more things to consider and uh, you're making your own way. You know, there's no set path in front of you. So you got to make it yourself. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I won't lie, man. I was paycheck to paycheck for, let's see, I got out in 2015 and I was paycheck to paycheck until last year. So you know, and sometimes didn't know if I was going to be able to afford my next, my next meal or groceries or rent or, or what. And, you know, that was all part of, I had identified with something very specific and very performance gauged, very physical performance gauge, you know, and it didn't translate into the civilian workforce as far as those things. There's not really many jobs outside of maybe law enforcement um, that, you know, you're, you're gauged and, and promoted with those, with those metrics. So having to find something now that I can excel at, with other skills and, and develop other skills to excel with was, was hard. And, and I had a hard, it took me a long time to find something that I liked, but that both engaged me and that uh, from a performance perspective and, and that I, I enjoyed doing. And I finally found that with online coaching, you know, I never did well with nine to fives because I, I, um, I just, I don't, I like when my effort correlates to money. So now I have that, you know, now I have where that's it's direct correlation the amount of effort i put into my job the amount of time i put into it directly correlates into income and with a nine to five with a salary you don't have that you can work just as hard or, or not as not hard at all and make the same amount of money so where's the motivation so for me as a person that just i just not do well with that yeah yeah keeping up with you you were one of the motivators for me to branch off too because i saw you out there doing your own thing and i think that's awesome to see i think a lot of people get excited when they see people out there branching off and creating something for themselves because I agree with, I would totally agree with you. Um, it is a little discouraging at times to put in all this effort for somebody else's, um, business for their growth. And whenever you do it for yourself, there's no ceiling and which is scary, but it's also very rewarding if you can get it off the ground. 
it was very scary. It was scary to leave that quote unquote security yeah. of my nine to five. But reality is, is like you said, now everything is my own doing. And if you're a self-motivated person, that's the way to go because yeah. you'll, if you are motivated enough, you will make it happen and it'll directly reflect maybe not today or tomorrow, but eventually that compound interest will add up and your efforts will return wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yep. So diving into uh, your knowledge, here's what I'm really here for. I really want to pick your brain because uh, yeah. I think a lot of people want to hear this and you know, I get questions all the time about meal plans and things. Um, I talk about macros and stuff like this, but you make meal plans, right? Like you specific, you go more into the specifics of their meal plan, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what I'll probably do is I'll start pointing people to you for those meal plans. Uh, I think, I think you can help a lot of my client base with what they're looking for. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. It's something, yeah, that's, I really concentrate on the, the intricacies of, you know, meal by meal, habit by habit, um, and, and really the nutritional education, because there's just, it's not readily available, especially when it comes to body composition. It's just, you won't find it. It's not taught in classes. It's not taught in college. You wouldn't believe how many doctors and nutritionists I've had as clients because they don't know how to eat. They don't learn that stuff in school. It's not something that you learn in school. It's something you learn from experience, mentorship and, and application. Yeah. And it's so important for health, for fitness. Uh, diet is so, so important. You know, uh, it's crazy that they don't teach it as much in medicine. I'm sure they cover it to some degree, but there are, like you said, there's a lot of doctors that I've seen that don't know that much about nutrition. And it's so, so important because uh, you're, if you treat your diet like medicine, then, I mean, you can take care of yourself for a long time just off of your diet. A lot of our diseases and health problems come from poor diet. So it's so important. The vast majority, the vast majority. I mean, and I mean, I'll, I'll try not to go off on any tangents here, but I mean, simply put, man, you have your vagus nerve that runs from your, your brain, your heart, to your gut. 90% of that communication runs from your gut to your brain. So what you eat is literally the programming of your body. And like you already hit on this, but almost all, disease originates in the gut, especially obesity related diseases. And the number one killer of people in the U S is heart disease. And it all comes from your nutrition and a sedentary lifestyle and to a way lesser extent genetics, like 5% maybe genetics or less. Um, and then by the same token, people focus on the wrong things when they're, when they have goals, people put all the emphasis on training. When it comes down to it, you burn 70% of your calories, um, at rest just by functioning, breathing, metabolic rate. You burn 15% with your non-exercise activity. So outside the gym, walking around, typing, whatever you're, if you have a non-sedentary job, you know, all that stuff, your movement. 10% um, is burned from digesting food. And if you have a higher protein diet, you're going to be more um, thermogenic. You're going to burn more calories. The remaining 5% is exercise. So people make the mistake of focusing on the least important part of changing what they want to see in the mirror. And that's the whole mindset that I work on changing with people. So uh, what I tell people, and I'm curious to get your take on this. I tell people 80% diet, 20% nutrition. What's your take on that? I say the same thing. I mean, and, and because that's sustainable for most people to do things right 80% of the time, they can, you know, eat a cheat meal or, or whatever 20% of the time and be okay. And what that mathematically equates to is if you eat five meals a day, let's just say, for example, seven days a week, that's 35 meals. 20% of that is not just one meal. It's, you know, two or three, but people have where people fail is they don't have an eye for portion sizes. They binge. They don't, uh, they don't know what a cheat meal actually is. It becomes a cheat day or a cheat, right. you know, huge, huge cheat meal. Now they're in a huge caloric surplus. They can't come back from 
And that's what actually sabotages people prog people's progress. Not because they, they cheat too much because they cheat too big. <laughs> right. So it's yeah. 80, 20, I, I say the same thing. Yep. And so, you know, diving into some of, uh, some of the questions I get a lot, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, what diet should I be on to gain weight, to lose weight, foods to avoid? Uh, do you want to kind of dive in on a weight gain diet and the general, uh, uh, keys to a weight loss diet and foods that you like to add or avoid? This is a question I could literally spend a week on, but right. I'll condense it down. It is because it's, 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 it's kind of individual dependent. It's, it's actually very individual dependent, but in, in like nuts and bolts, you know, spark notes version, you have your TDEE or your basal metabolic rate, the amount of calories you need to eat to maintain your weight. And you're going to be familiar with a lot of these terms. Um, you know, if you eat that, you're going to maintain your weight. Right. And this also assumes that you're tracking your calories, which is something that most people are unwilling to do. Um, let me just dispel one thing right off the bat. The reason fad diets work, quote unquote, work temporarily. Um, you're never going to talk to someone who's been on keto for a long for a long time. It's always past tense, or they're about to try it, or they know someone who's doing it and probably isn't doing it right. They're not sustainable. And I'm just using keto as an example. Um, paleo, Whole30, um, the Atkins diet, Herbalife, all those things. They're all fads. Now, they, what do fads do? They come and go. Why do they come and go? Because they are temporary. They can't be sustained. Your goal should be long term. And so, I mean, what is the point of losing 20 pounds for a vacation to look decent on Facebook and then gain it all back? You know, it's not, there is no long-term benefit from that. Why not learn the habits that you need to become a better person and identify as a better person so that you can look good year round and for the rest of your life? It's easier than people think. They think that uh, implementing habits leads to a boring life. They think that implementing habits leads to a robotic, non-spontaneous life. But the reality is you create so much more time when you have good habits, because you don't have to worry about what you're eating. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're making progress. You don't have to worry about stressing about your body image and fitting in the clothes you want because all that's taken care of because you have the habits necessary to do those things. So now you can worry about other things, put your energy towards other things. That's the, that's the big paradox people don't understand. All right. Now back to just nuts and bolts here. Let's say that to maintain your weight, you need to eat 2000 calories. I'm just using numbers here, you know, whatever. Obviously, to gain weight, you have to eat above that caloric surplus. To lose weight, you have to eat below that consistently, caloric deficit, right? So the error, the biggest number one error that people, most people make is when they start tracking calories, we're assuming people are number one tracking their calories and number two doing it accurately. There's a lot of mistakes people make with tracking calories. That's for another day, though. Um, the number one mistake people make is they, they if they want to gain weight, they do too big of a surplus. So if, you're, if your maintenance is 2,000 and you want to gain weight, dudes primarily will make the mistake of eating 3000 calories and thinking that that's going to mean faster progress. It doesn't, it's going to mean faster body fat. Your, your BMR, um, it can, your, your metabolic rate, it, it can rise and it can fall. If you're eating more food, it's typically going to rise. But if you eat too much food, you're going to put on more weight than your body can, can handle at once. It's, it's going to be body fat. Um, the, the average male, assuming that the average male, an untrained male, someone who hasn't trained can only gain about anywhere between one to two pounds of muscle a month. And that's, that's in the untrained, a trained male less than that. So when people gain five, 10 pounds in a month and claim that to be muscle, that's just, that's just not possible. It's, it's body fat. And you may look bigger, but it's going to be water glycogen from the increased carbohydrate consumption and body fat. So the, the best way to do it, and this goes for either spectrum, right? You don't want to, by the same token, you don't want to drop your calories too low because you're going to lose mostly muscle. Yeah. You're going to lose weight, 
But the goal should be body composition, your, your, what you're composed of, muscle and fat, not just weight. If weight was the goal, sure, drop your calories in a huge deficit. You can lose weight if it's an emergency, but you're going to lose a lot of muscle. And if you lose muscle in a caloric deficit, you defeat the purpose. We want a good finished product, not just a Ziploc bag of milk when we're done. We want like a, a toned, leaner person. So by the same token, you don't want to drop your calories to 1,000. You want to drop them to 1,800. So either way, small surplus, small deficit. Now, what you do when you do that is, let's say that you weigh – you know, let's say you weigh 150 pounds, you're eating, you're eating 2,100 calories, you're in a surplus, right? Stick to that for two weeks. And if you gain a pound, good, keep going, stay there. If you don't gain any weight, raise it up 100 calories. Don't raise it up 500, raise it up 100. Now, what you're doing by doing this is you're get, letting your metabolism, your digestive system, your liver, everything adjust to that caloric intake over time. So, and you also minimize the amount of body fat that you, that you gain. You can do, I do lean bulks with people all the time where they put on muscle mass and the majority of it is muscle tissue. So when they gain 15 pounds in six months, they still look, they may even look leaner because they have more muscle and proportionally their body fat percentage goes down. If you, if you gain weight and the majority of it's muscle, then you have by the same token, less body fat as a percentage based, right? The ratio is, is slightly skewed now. So you, that's what you do every, every couple weeks, you just kind of reevaluate, but the, this requires people sticking to something for a couple weeks. My wife's poking in. What's up, babe? <laughs> she, she's over here whispering my name. I'm so sorry. Dude. Um, <laughs> no worries. You didn't even know it, but my, my son just came in and got his diaper changed during this. So <laughs> it was really incognito. <laughs> yeah, this happened. Uh, this happened during one of my other podcasts. I actually had to go back and edit twice because she had wa- kept walking in the room. Um, no worries. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I like the the small increments. So you kind of walk it up for them to gain weight, and then walk it down for them to lose weight. Is that correct? Yeah, it takes patience, and and yeah. we live in a society of instant gratification. It re- yes. it takes accepting that the payoff is not going to be in your face immediately. It's it's again, it comes back to realizing that your daily habits accumulate huge success down the road, but you're not going to see that return on your investment immediately. You have to, you know, stick to something people, you know, we have, we live in the age of Amazon prime, you know, of Netflix, of, of, of zoom meetings of, you know, instant gratification, right? Uber, Uber eats. So people want it now and your body is not going to work that way ever. The human yep. body will never work that way. So you have to be acceptant of the fact that, you're going to get where you want to be. It's just not going to be as fast as you want. And on the, along the way, you're going to learn a hell of a lot. And that's kind of what I do with my program is, you know, hey, this is a long-term investment, but the end result is you're going to actually be a different person at the end and not temporarily different and then back to your old ways. Yeah. It's, I tell people it's a marathon, not a race, because what you're developing is a, is a lifestyle. You're developing a healthy, healthy lifestyle. It's not just for, it shouldn't just be for, I want to look good this summer or I want to look good for whatever this event is, it should be something that you are doing forever for your fitness and for, and in turn, the same thing as your health. Uh, I would say what I've been telling people, and uh, you can tell me if this is right. I've been telling people healthy weight loss is about a pound, two pounds max per week. Yeah, I'm right in line with that. I say half a pound to a pound and a half because okay. with women especially, if they don't see, you're not going to see a fall on the scale every week. You're just not, your, your body doesn't work that way, especially if you're only weighing once a week, people want to weigh every single day 
and we fluctuate. If you, if you took like, and I have proof of this on my, all my apps, if you, if you people weigh every day, their weight loss track looks like a heart monitor because it just, it just fluctuates hormones, mineral balance, uh, bowel movements, uh, water retention, all that factors into that weight that you see on the scale. So people to look at that number day by day and expect that to depict fat loss only is maniacal, but society has convinced us that that's what you're supposed to do. And that's why women and men develop an unhealthy relationship with the scale. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I, when I was trying to gain weight, if I weighed on the scale and it wasn't the number I wanted, I'd go and slam a shake and then come back and weigh again. Yeah. So I was the opposite spectrum. You know, a lot of people will, you know, if they don't see it, they'll go, you know, and, and unfortunately make themselves throw up or starve themselves, you know, for 24 hours to see a different number. And that's just, it's, that's totally irrelevant when it comes down to it. Like the scale is the dullest tool in the toolbox when it comes to evaluating real progress. So um, that's one of the biggest pieces of my program as well as helping people develop that understanding and that new mindset with the scale, because that takes time. It's a mindset that was developed over a long period of time. It takes time to unwire that connection. So, so yeah, that's something I have to tackle every day in my job. Yeah, I, I think that's a common problem. Um, you know, that's why they make tools like the skin caliper and they got the body fat. They even got the electronic body fat measurements. I like to go off of that. Uh, I had a I had a girl client one time. We had worked together for a few months and we went to weigh her on the scale and we were doing a comparison from, uh, you know, I think it was like a month um, and she had gained a little weight and, but we took her body fat measurements and she was all, she was all concerned. I could see physically she looked better, but she was obsessed with what that scale was reading. And I said, look, uh, you know, you're probably gaining some muscle and muscle weighs more than fat. But if you compare the two together, if you take a heap of like one pound heap of fat and compare it to muscle, the muscle is much smaller and denser than the fat. The fat is a big bulk. So you're kind of trading one for the other. You're still slimming down, even though the scale isn't representing that. That single thing is the biggest mountain I have to climb with every female client and a lot of male clients as well is like you said, a muscle is, is way more dense than fat. So the concept of lifting weights is going to make you smaller is such a hard thing for women to wrap their head around because they've been told for years that muscles make you bulky. Right. right. And that's why it took me a couple of years to really start excelling in online coaching because I had to prove that I could get results with people who are the opposite spectrum of my body type and gender. So now I specialize in women. I have 85% female clients because I've learned to speak to their issues. I've shown that I can get results with that demographic, young and old, whatever the issue is, Hashimoto's, hypothyroid, you know, PCOS, whatever it is, I've shown that I can get results with that demographic. Um, but that, you know, me as a 255 pound, 6'5 male, trying to tell a woman that they're convinced her to work with me over another woman, it was very difficult early on. And so um, it took a couple of years of accumulating some good results with women before I could, could make that argument. But yeah, that, that whole, people have been warped by mainstream society to, to put all of their stock. I mean, Dr. Oz is a huge culprit of this. You know, he, he tells people all this crazy, I don't even know how that guy has a, has a, any kind of license or any kind of credibility whatsoever, because I see these articles and the stuff he says on the, on TV, he's simply just trying to get it's sensationalism. He's just trying to get the buzzwords and the, and the trends and the, you know, capitalize on that, the, all the fads to get, you know, views and stuff. But Yes. You know, it's just nothing he preaches is sustainable and, but people eat it up because they're so hungry for an easy answer. 
They yes. want overnight results so bad. So a lot of the questions I even noticed on, on this post that we made to, you know, advertising this podcast, they're like, Hey, what's one of the first questions, what supplements does he take? Because people think that it's going to come down to some magical, you know, pill or potion that's going to help them get quicker results. And, and, and in their, in, in, in their defense, how, how could they know any different? Because that's what's shoved down their throat every day. And because yeah. people want to make money off of ignorant people, people love in this industry, take advantage of people who don't know any better and sell them products, thrive, Herbalife, um, fit tea, waist trainers, all these things are fads. They don't actually give you quicker results, especially if your nutrition is trash, <laughs> you're not yeah. going to get anywhere with these things. Yes. Um, even, even, performance enhancing drugs they're not going to work unless you are eating correctly and you're working your ass off they they don't work and i know many 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 people i mean 70% of men in the gym they, there's a statistic out there now it's from like maybe a few years ago so it's probably even more now 70% of men in the gym have tried or are using performance enhancing drugs and a lot of people don't even know because they don't you can't tell yes. <laughs> because they don't work <laughs> unless you're doing everything else right I've seen it firsthand. That's what a lot of people don't understand is they, they see a big, big fit guy and they're like, Oh, steroids. It's just the magic injection that just automatically makes you grow. There's still diet. There's still training immense amount of training that is happening with those people. So I've seen people take steroids and all they get is the, uh, what, what do you call it? Gynaco mass or whatever they get. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the fancy the time for effects. boobs. They get man boobs. Yeah. Got a, got a mass. So yeah. That's it. Uh, yeah they'll just get the size and other results. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's no easy answer. There's, there's supplements you can take. Sure. But this training still has to accompany that. So uh, that being said, that was another, that was another uh, topic that we did get. And, and uh, so the, you're sponsored by a supplement company. And so I'll let you talk about that and then talk about what supplements you do like and supplements that you don't like um so yeah so I, i've been with bsn now for like i said two and a half years and they've been very good to me they're they're a great company they've been around for a long time they've been around since like 2004 um and when they approached me it's, it's a company that i've i've used my entire life when i was on deployment i used them when i was growing up in, in high school I, you know explode was the first product i ever used for as a pre-workout and back then it made you explode your pants but now it's it's more a <laughs> It's a little better, but, um, but when it comes to the supplements that I recommend, I mean, I, I used to be that person that just totally used every supplement in the book. And I think in, in high in college, I stayed the same weight for four years straight because I was just relying on protein shakes and meal replacement shakes and creatine and all this stuff. The reality is most supplements do not work. Most supplements. Um, and they don't work because most people have, you, you can't do anything without a good diet. You don't, you can't do anything without nutrition and training. If those two things in your sleep, if those two things, those three things are not aligned and, and optimal, uh, no supplement is going to help you. And one thing I like about BSN is they say that they say, you know, a good nutrition regimen comes first. They always say that. And so that's one thing I've respected about them because a lot of supplements don't say, or a lot of companies don't say that. They'll just say, use our shit. It's going to make you awesome. Look at this Jack guy. He uses it probably yeah. doesn't you know you're going to use it to look like him and and that's been happening for 30 years but um bsn's always been one that says you know nutrition comes first and and so that's something i appreciate about them they're not trying to lie to you you know um 
but it, that being said, the supplements that, that I have found to, to be, to use, that I use and, and advocate using, um, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, whey, I'm, I'm really conflicted with whey protein because at the end of the day, it is a waste product for milk and cheese production. Um, it is high in an inflammatory amino acid called tryptophan. And uh, you have to offset that with other means if you do use it, I think. That being said, if you're at the end of the day, if you're short on 25 grams of protein and you're, you've gone over your carbs and fats or you just want a quick whatever, do it. You know, it's not going to kill you. Um, creatine has been shown to actually, it's been proven to work, um, helps you with ATP production. And, um, but you get enough creatine from red meat and fish. Pretty much every supplement I'm going to recommend you can get from food anyway. So, uh, you know, creatine monohydrate has been, you know, been around since the dawn of time. It, it actually, it actually can work. Now the results you get from it are not monumental. So it's not like it's going to, you know, be a game changer. It's something that helps a little bit and that's about it. Um, nothing that you can't already achieve with a good nutrition regimen. Um, I do like, uh, there's some digestive supplements that I recommend in my program personally, uh, that I think are game changers as far as, um, so Heather's tummy fiber is one that not, not a lot of people know about. It's called Heather's tummy fiber. You can find it on Amazon. It's a ICE prebiotic probiotic. Um, it helps you get a lot of the probiotics that you can't get from your diet. It's amazing. It can actually just like totally change your gut health. Um, it helps people with IBS symptoms, Crohn's, all kinds of stuff. So it's like a game changer. I advocate that for all my clients um, and they don't pay me to say this. Like it actually, it actually works. Uh, yeah. Another one that I recommend is uh, cod liver oil is a good one. Vitamin A, DHA, omegas. Um, that's, that's a good one that we don't get a lot of in our diet as well. Uh, as far as like the stimulants go, um, you have to remember that a lot of stimulants are vasoconstrictors. So if you're, if you, if your goal in the gym is a better pump, you want to stay away from heavy stems because it's going to actually constrict your, your, your veins a little bit and you're not going to get as good blood flow. Um, if you really want good blood flow, there's like a blood flow stack that I always recommend and it's L-arginine, L-citrulline, uh, ginkgo biloba is a good one to add to that. And, that's that. uh, that's well. yeah, yeah. Ginkgo, and then yeah. Uh, Cialis, Cialis is a good one as well. You're going to get other side effects from that, but it's a good one. It's a uh, Cialis is at Tadalafil, the, the generic, the actual, the ingredient in it. It's actually a very useful bodybuilding drug. It increases your nitrogen uh, retention. So used over time, it has a cumulative effect. I wouldn't use the, the pharmaceutical dose. I would use five milligrams instead of the, the 20 milligram. Otherwise you can get some side effects and some unwanted erections, but uh, it, the, the five milligram daily is, is a really good bodybuilding supplement that a lot of people can use. Um, uh, you would be surprised. I guess you may not be surprised. A ton of people use it for that reason um, with the extra benefit of the, the sexual enhancement. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I use. Um, I, I'm on hormone replacement therapy, which I can explain when we get into the performance enhancing drugs talk because um, that's, that's testosterone. It puts me at normal, healthy levels, nothing because that was a question we got early on. So I can hit on that later, but that's about it as far as supplements go. To be honest, I do use L-glutamine, free-form L-glutamine. Uh, it's good for digestion as well, and it's good for recovery. So I use that. Magnesium bisglycinate is, is a really good uh, form of magnesium. It's the most absorbable form of magnesium, magnesium bisglycinate. Uh, and that's about, for women, I recommend DHEA, 25 milligrams, um, is a hormonal regulator. Um, as long as it doesn't produce any side effects, sometimes it can give people headaches because of the hormonal cleanse that it does when you first start taking it potentially. But DHEA is a great one. That's weird thing is it's illegal in Canada. 
and legal here. Ephedrine is legal in Canada and illegal here. We have flip-flop on those. It's weird. Because ephedrine used to be one of the best, uh, you know, stimulants ever. But someone misused it, and then it got banned by the FDA. Uh, that's kind of what happens with all, all those good stimulants, like uh, DMAA and all those. Um, that's all I can really think of off the top of my head. Yeah, and, and there's measurements to everything. I think just like we were talking about the quick answers, a lot of people think more is more better. Uh, sometimes that's not the case. I like that you touched on gut health. Uh, that's important for, again, health and fitness in turn. Those two go hand in hand. So definitely probiotics, prebiotics. And then uh, you talked about fiber supplements. You can get a lot of fiber in your diet too. Very important for digestion and digestive health. And then uh, there was another one I was going to say. Uh, you can also take... Uh, enzymes, there's different levels to enzymes, but I like the idea of enzymes because it helps with digestion. Uh, also, make sure you're chewing your food because your stomach doesn't yes. have teeth. Mastication is huge. Yeah. A lot. I started counting the amount of times I was chewing because I wasn't well. chewing enough. I choose like eight times. And now I started counting to 20. And absolutely, you're absolutely right. That's something I always neglect to hit on is people don't chew enough. <laughs> it's, such, yeah. it's so true though. Yeah. And I won't dabble too far into this, but giving you guys a little insight on me and why I'm so uh, big on nutrition. I, I had some digestive issues and I went and I had to go get a bunch of medical tests done. And that's when I learned about the importance of gut health. And then I started doing all these things, changed my diet completely. And then my health and fitness benefits were astronomical. Um, so uh, yeah, it's so, so important. There's so many people in this country with digestive issues because of the hormones that are in our food, the chemicals that they add, you know, make sure that you're paying attention to that stuff. It's so important for, for health and fitness. Well, there's a lot of things people don't know about like lectins, you know, lectins yeah. being toxins in our food. I mean, people always ask me, Maverick, why do I, why do you advocate white rice over brown? And they don't realize that brown rice is coated in lectin and it's, it's very hard on your digestive system. Um, it's inflammatory, you know, at the end of the day. So that's why, and white rice doesn't have it. So I advocate that um, lectin is a gluten is a, it's a type of lectin. So, just to give people an example, I know everybody's heard about gluten. They yes. haven't heard about lectins. Gluten is in a family of lectins. So um, lectins are so prevalent in foods that we eat every day um, because we don't know any better. And, and you're basically the analogy I used uh, in a recent post was the, the kryptonite reference with Superman. You know, if, if Lex Luthor threw a, threw a thing, a big, a big thing of kryptonite at Superman, it might hurt him right then, but he'd find a way to, you know, overcome it and eventually win. Whereas if Lex Luthor sprinkled a little bit of kryptonite in, in Superman's cereal, and he ate it for breakfast every day, over time, it's killing him and he has no idea. Right. Uh, that's kind of how the toxins in our, our foods work. And, and lectin is a huge one. And plants are the primary carrier of lectins because it's a defense mechanism against humans because plants see humans as predators. They're the prey. As a defense mechanism, they, they, uh, they produce lectins and different chemicals to protect themselves. We eat those chemicals that are made to protect the plants and we're just consuming them over and over and over. Sorry, vegans and vegetarians, but your diet is shit. Like it's, it's not, it's not, I mean, just look at any of their blood work and compared to someone with a all well-rounded diet. Now they're doing it for a, a moral purpose. That's totally different. And I completely support that. If you're, you know, against animal cruelty, by all means, do your thing. But if you're doing it to say that it's healthier, you're just playing wrong because of those reasons. Now, if they know about lectins and they're, they're eating plants that are lectin free, then they nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't say anything, but hardly any people that, that I know of and I've seen on social media promoting a vegan or vegetarian diet are aware of those things. That's interesting. Yeah. I've never, I've never really dove into lectins or heard anything about that. So 
uh, that's something I'll definitely look into. A lot of people have heard about gluten. I know a lot of people with gluten allergies, and so they have to avoid uh, things with gluten. I got a family member that uh, has uh, hypothyroidism. I, what's the term for that? Celiac? Not It's not celiacs. Um, Hajimoto's disease. Hajimoto's, yeah. Hajimoto's, yeah, yeah. So really, yeah. really slow thyroid, yeah. Yes. And so he has to, I think, uh, uh, by consideration for that is he has to avoid gluten, which I thought was interesting. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot the, to diet. For sure. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, we're just breaching. We're not even breaching the surface. And as far as gut health goes, that's a whole other subject unto itself. Yeah. Um, the plant, the plant paradox is a good book all about lectins It's relatively new and it has a ton of information on everything that I just said. So if you guys want to validate what I just said, the plant paradox, check it out on Amazon Kindle and you'll be super informed on the toxins that are in made mainly, mainly plants, but a lot of the foods we commonly eat. That's very interesting. you got a question and a thread and somebody said, uh, I loved your response to this. He goes, well, that's not all natural. And you said, now? Yes. Always? No. And you said, I'll be glad to dive into that. And I was like, yes. Yeah, I'd be glad yeah, to yeah. dive into that too. It's a subject that so many people tiptoe around and it's a taboo subject. And it's something that is still just, it's becoming a little more known, but it's still something that people just tiptoe around for sponsorship reasons and stuff like that. Um, I'm in a place where I'm, I'm happy to educate on it and people need to know there's a lack of education on it. And, and, that's the main reason why a lot of things are big problems because of the lack of education and the, the governmental decisions based around anabolic steroids are not founded in really good data and, and evidence. The guy who made the anti-steroid act in, 18, in 1989 uh, was not knowledgeable or up to date on what, I mean, he said, he literally said steroids cause cancer and all this other stuff, which they don't. Now I am, I'm not pro steroid. I want to make that very clear, not pro steroid. Um, I think that, anything that you plan on doing in that regard should be monitored by a doctor. You should get regular blood work and it should be done at a very safe, in a very safe way. Now that's key because you, you said earlier, you said more isn't always better. Well, the number one mistake that people make with anabolic steroids is thinking that more is better and they have a very high diminishing return after a certain, after a certain amount. Um, and you, you only get so much benefit until you start seeing side effects. It's kind of like um, alcohol, right? You, you can only get so drunk in a good way before you start getting drunk in a bad way. And right. more drinks isn't going to make that better. It's only going right. to make it worse. So, um, so I, I mean, the best way I can, so right now I am on what's called hormone replacement therapy, which is testosterone therapy. I was diagnosed with low testosterone in my early 20s. And um, now I'm prescribed testosterone to keep me at a normal level. So I basically have the testosterone levels of a, of a male in their early 20s and will maintain that probably for the rest of my life to maintain my quality of life. We all know after the age of 35 usually, uh, and it's happening younger and younger now because of what you touched on, hormones in our foods and in our, our household cleaning, uh, uh, cleaning products, um, different things we eat, different, uh, different um, dyes in our soaps that people don't even realize um, really have a drastic effect on your hormones. These are these hormones, these chemicals didn't exist 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, and that's why, you know, people didn't have these issues back then. People, the, the average, the mean level of testosterone now for the average male has gone lower and lower and lower as time has gone on. Now, there's no reason to let your quality of life dwindle from mother nature. In my opinion, I think that every 
person, not just men, because women need testosterone as well. Um, it's a, it's a ratio. Men need estrogen, just like women need testosterone. They do things in your body that are very vital to your quality of life and your overall health. Um, but I don't, I don't think there's any reason why you should let mother nature dwindle your quality of life. So I, that's my personal choice to do hormone replacement therapy indefinitely as a, as a medical um, diagnosis. Um, but that being said, when it comes to performance enhancing drugs, it is, I think way, way more common than people realize both in, at the professional level of sports in the military and law enforcement and common gyms. I mean, it's everywhere. Um, I've been friends with, I don't know how many police officers over the years and almost all of them were using performance enhancing drugs. It's just, it's not talked about people in the DEA use performance enhancing drugs. People in the military use performance enhancing drugs. They just recently started testing for performance enhancing drugs in the military. Yeah. Um, but until then it was rampant and especially in range of Battalion, <laughs> it was yes. like a, it was like, I mean, that's, that's where I first discovered uh, anabolic steroids. So, um, it can be done in a way that is safe. It can be done in a way that is not damaging. The problem is very few people do it that way because they crave that more is better mentality and, it, and it's not. And that's when you start seeing the health repercussions from it. Um, nobody in America wants to admit that they're the person they looked up to for their, their entire life was using anabolic steroids because the media makes it sound like it's cheating. But there's a reason why when LeBron James, uh, when they started testing for human growth hormone, now this is going to be a controversial opinion, this is my opinion, but they started testing for human growth hormone in the NBA, LeBron immediately conveniently lost 25 to 30 pounds. And, and they, they kind of, they coded that by saying, oh, he's just losing weight so he can be more durable. This is the new age of athletics. And, you know, if he loses weight, he's going to be more durable and faster and, and more agile. And it's going to be less pounding on his joints. Okay, or he was using growth hormone like the rest of the professional athletes to stay healthy and perform at the level that they do. And when they started testing for it, he had to stop and lost some, some muscle mass. Now, am I, am I judging LeBron James? Absolutely not. I think that performance-enhancing drugs should be allowed in every sport. We should get the fastest, strongest athletes that we can possibly see. Um, you know, it's, it's, right now it's the point where people, some people are using it and some aren't, and that's not fair. If everyone's allowed, then everyone wins. And at that point, I think it should be monitored by a doctor and have regular blood work, keep them healthy and whatnot. That's, this is a very unpopular opinion because I'm educated on the subject. There's going to be a lot of people that disagree with me, but um, every professional wrestler uses them. Every, almost, uh, I would be willing to bet Michael Jordan used them at one point. It's just, a, it's just a fact. They have all used them either in their off season to recover or in, and people think that anabolic steroids all have one purpose to get jacked there are so many different kinds of anabolic steroids they all do different things they all have different purposes some increase your endurance people think that lance armstrong used steroids he did not he used epo epo is increases your red blood cell count to a to a very high degree that's what all of them were doing lance armstrong is just the one that got caught <laughs> so yes. i will i will defend lance until i'm in the grave because he was only doing what everyone else was doing to be competitive and he got caught for it um, but make no mistake, they were all doing it. He was just trying to level the playing field. And so, but the average person sitting at home doesn't want to think that the role model is a cheater, you know? And, and so it's, it's just a very, it's a very controversial topic. Uh, my experience was, was using them for bodybuilding, you know, and, and using them very, uh, uh, and I was, I was knowledgeable, but I still wasn't as knowledgeable as I should have been. So, you know, I, I do regret my, my use of them early on. Um, I didn't use them very long, but, um, when I did, you know, I, I experienced all the, the negatives because I was using way too much. And, uh, 
eventually I learned that, you know, more isn't better. And I, I just was like, you know what, I'm going to do it the healthy way, get it from a doctor. And I've been able to progress a very long way with just having natural or having a normal level of testosterone. I don't, I'll never say I'm natural, but I have a, I'm in the normal range to keep me healthy. And it is healthier to have testosterone in the high normal range than in low to have low testosterone. It's, it's more, you're at more risk of prostate cancer to have low testosterone with, with having low testosterone than with testosterone in high normal range. Um, you're going to feel better. You're going to perform better. Um, it's just, I think everybody should do it after age 35. I don't know. I mean, we have, live in a country where you can do it. Why not? And um, the problem is in, insurance doesn't always cover it um, because they don't see it as a necessity. So that, that the range for which uh, like the, the, you have to be at a, like a, a minimum level to get covered by insurance and they've dropped it from 400 to 200. Well, to have 200 level testosterone, you have to be like a 90 year old man. So it's really hard to get insurance to cover it now. Um, I don't know what the exact number is, 200 something, but they do that purposely so they don't have to cover it. So it's, 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 it can be costly. I'm fortunate enough to be sponsored by an anti-aging clinic. So um, that, that's been a really big benefit. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's something that just is really, really rampant and common that people don't, just don't realize, men and women, men and women. Um, the problem is you only hear the negative stories. Um, no one has ever died from anabolic steroid use. The, people, the bodybuilders who have died were using other things, such as diuretics which massively dehydrate you. And then you have the guys that have organ failure because of that. Now they, they die from steroids. Well, it may have uh, accelerated some pre-existing conditions, but it didn't, it didn't kill them. And majority of the time it comes down to a hereditary thing or, you know, something like that. You can't overdose on steroids any more than you can overdose on marijuana. It's just not, it's not possible. But anyway, I digress. That's, that's kind of my, I have a very uh, progressive view on them. Um, but it's, it's just something that there are things that are legal that are way more dangerous than anabolic steroids, artificial sweeteners, fast food, cigarettes, alcohol, all legal, all killing thousands every day, <laughs> you know, and yes. yet there's, they remain legal. Yeah. I, uh, I would agree with you that it's very, you know, that's a topic you're covering that's taboo, but, uh, I, I kind of see on the same, on the same playing field here. Then there's other things that you may or may not have mentioned that, uh, I think has a lot of benefits, but you know, the things that are, but a lot of people don't want to hear that because it's not something that is cultural, culturally accepted. And so, you know, uh, there's a lot of medications and stuff out there that are horrible for you, but those are okay as compared to other things. So uh, I won't go too far into that, but yeah, I definitely think there's things out there that could be very beneficial for us if they are regulated. I think that the FDA should get involved with certain, certain things and it should be something that's looked at because a lot of these people are getting their hands on it and there's no regulation. There's no, there's not a lot of research back behind it. And so uh, it, it is harming people for that reason. So, yeah, if you just look at big pharma's view on growth hormone, you can get prescribed growth hormone from a doctor, but it's just going to be at least two or $3,000 a month. That's how they want it. That's they, 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 the stuff that works and is actually really good for you they'll make it, they'll make it to where you can get it from a doctor, but they're going to, they're going to freaking mark up the price like crazy and make it to where they make a ton of money off of it. You know, if it was so bad for us, why would we still be able to get it from a doctor? You know, by the same token, like you said, cigarettes still there, alcohol killing thousands, you know, obesity killing people every day. The government doesn't want anything. Now I'm going to go down what many people consider the rabbit hole, but the government does not want a strong, free thinking, confident populace that threatens the government. They want a sickly, 
um, they want a sickly, um, submissive, obedient, in fear populace that benefits the government to be dependent on healthcare and welfare and everything else that, um, you know, and welfare is kind of a separate thing, but they, they don't want a free thinking, self-sufficient populace. They don't, that's their worst nightmare. Yeah. Could be. And, uh, yeah, I like, I like all the things that we've touched on. Um, so there was a point I was going to make and then I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah. So, I remember what it was. I got heartburn medication from the VA and I'd been taking it not long. Uh, this is back when I was having all, uh, my digestive issues and things. Uh, so I was taking this heartburn medication. I used to get horrible heart heartburn and I changed my diet. They I don't, uh, renatidine, I think is what it was. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of different kinds of heartburn medication, but I was taking renatidine. I think that's what it was. I don't know. I'm probably spitting out the wrong thing, but, um, I was taking that for a little bit, luckily not too much, but I got a letter from the VA like, Hey, don't take that anymore. Just discard it. Cause that has carcinogens in it. And I was like, yeah. causes cancer. Why are you giving this to me? You know, but mm -hmm. it just goes to show there's so many medications out there that who knows what problems these things can cause, but yeah, it's socially acceptable. So, Hey, that's what, that's, what's good for you where there's more, there's other means uh, you know, I would always start with diet and nutrition and try to fix your problems that way. That's the, that's the best fix. But if you're looking at medications and things, uh, I would be, I would definitely be cautious. Yeah. I, and I wholeheartedly support doctors and their place in society and, you know, their the necessity for, for medical professionals, but the amount of time I've spent undoing what a doctor did with someone because they don't know they're not educated in it or they got their medical degree 20 years ago when it's no longer applicable. I, I so much time I've, I've had to fix metabolisms. I had to, to uh, help people's thyroid issues. I've had to, I mean, doctors have told people, for instance, I have a female client who, who entered menopause and she was trying, she was struggling with her weight loss. A doctor told her to eat 800 calories to lose weight, 800 calories. That's less than you eat in ranger school. That's time. Um, yeah. And then, uh, another one, not, not being very knowledgeable in hormone replacement therapy was having a guy inject his testosterone every two weeks, once every two weeks when the ester only lasts 10 to 14 days. So around day eight to 10, he started feeling terrible and didn't know why. So I had to help him split up his dosages. Um, you know, doctors telling, I had a heart scan uh, a few weeks ago, just, just for general health purposes, came back fine. And the doctor said, all right, well, everything was good. Uh, don't salt your meals and I'll see you in two years. I was like, don't salt my meals. What are you talking about? Why would he just say that? Why would you say don't salt my meals without having any kind of reasoning? behind? <laughs> I need sodium. Have you seen me? I do things. I need sodium to, to function for muscle contraction for everything else. But they just, it's a very, it's, they're medicine. They're not health. They're, and, and, and you're right. A lot of things, there's a reason why I've gotten dozens of people off of blood pressure medication off of statins for their cholesterol, off of blood sugar medication. Um, I've helped people with IBS, with Crohn's, um, with gastritis. I've helped people mitigate or eliminate the symptoms from all those things without medication. So to your point, gut health and, and the, the programming for your body being gut health is, is so important. Yeah, I, you touched on an interesting subject. And there's doctors out there that are frustrated because a lot of doctors – know exactly what people need. There are some out there that uh, push medicine more and they really believe in the medicine, but there are doctors out there that 
I talked to one in particular, I was looking into the DO track and he was chatting with me. He's like, the major frustration I have with being a doctor is people want, again, the, the quick fix. They want the medicine. They don't want to hear, hey, the only way to fix your issue is to change your diet and start working out. He's like, I can't tell people that. Legally, there's a lot of legal reasons they can't tell people that. Um, some do, some don't give a shit. They're like, right, yeah, right. you need to start working out or you're going to die. You know, some of them are pretty, uh, pretty brash and good for them. But um, there's a lot of doctors out there that are appeasing patients because they, you know, a lot of them don't want to get sued and things like that. So um, they're like, all right, here's this pill, you know, and they're versed on medicine. That is when you become a doctor, you are a essentially a scientist and you're learning about medicine and how medicine fixes issues. That is, that is like your degree is medicine. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of ingrained to push these pills that, that work and, and things like that. But the ultimate fix is lifestyle changes. In, in my yeah. opinion, I think it's like a, and I agree. I, I, again, I want to, you know, advocate the necessity of medical professionals and what they contribute to society. I mean, but I think it's, it's, I think it's at the end of the day, it's more of a stay in your lane kind of thing, you know, and there's some things that you have to have medication for, and I don't want to discount that whatsoever. And doctors help people every single day, fix issues that require that. But when it comes to someone who just wants to lose some weight or someone who's trying to get healthier or fix a thyroid issue that doesn't require medication or can be fixed, you know, maybe holistically, let's not jump to prescribing something uh, and put, putting a, a bandaid on a hemorrhage, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of doctors have that frustration. And, and to be honest, I, I don't really, I don't know what I'm talking about. A lot of those guys got like 14 year, uh, you know, education into their residencies and things like that. They're probably, they probably hear me talking to me, but, uh, but you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of the opinion I've developed as well as just the baseline thing is, uh, I think, I think that people, in America are over prescribed. And I think a lot of that is culturally based. I think they want those medications. They want the easy answer. The answer is not easy. And uh, I by no means pretend to know, know it all or know a lot of those solutions. But uh, I would say looking into diet and, and activity is a good place to start. Absolutely. hundred percent. It all comes back to nutrition and what you, what you do habitually over time, yeah. you know, you, you become your habits. So if you are habitually, eating shit foods instead or you're sedentary, you're setting yourself up for every known major disease we have. <laughs> yeah. The two leading ones, heart disease and diabetes. And I think we covered that. And Coincidentally, so. uh, the vast majority of the people hospitalized for, for COVID are hyperglycemic. So, you know, yeah. even more, even more of a reason to, to stay healthy. And, uh, diabetes is a bad thing. Uh, I actually got an interesting story uh, behind this, but diabetes is a really bad thing. It affects all of your organs. There's much, you know, a lot of people hear about the sugar and stuff. Look, diabetes is a very significant disease. Um, it is very, uh, it's, it's a big workaround. It's a big consideration. Um, yeah, so you got to monitor your blood glucose all day, basically. Yeah, you can start having issues with all your organs. I've heard of people having issues with their sight and there's just all, there's a lot to it. My, my grandpa was diagnosed with bad type two diabetes. He no longer, he changed his diet and he started exercising. My grandfather, bad diabetes, bad diabetes. He no longer has diabetes. He undid all that through a change and he's a doctor. So, uh, you know, we're talking about doctors. 
uh, he, he's a doctor, like he knew and he knows, okay, the real fix for this is not, yeah, sure. He was on insulin for a little while, but he's like, the real fix for this is I need a lifestyle change. So he changed, he fixed his diet. Uh, his diet got super strict and he started exercising and he no longer has diabetes, which is mind blowing. Yeah. That's, you know, that's unheard of. You don't hear that often. <laughs> it's not often, but it's possible. So oh, yeah. If you are diagnosed with type two diabetes, I really believe that, I mean, he's proof of that. I mean, he, for years he, he had diabetes and he no longer has diabetes. So don't lose hope. Yeah. The, the problem in our country is you could have someone on their deathbed and say, look, here's the thing. You can cure this, but you're going to have to start exercising every day and eating right. They'd be like, fuck it. I'm out. Yeah. They'd rather die. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I want problem, a soda. Man. Yeah. 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 Um, so I won't keep you too much longer. We hit a lot of good points. Um, yeah, uh, these last questions I got are, is more about the training side of things. Uh, I got a question about combating soreness and how to keep motivated and consistent with training. Do you have advice on those? Combating soreness. Uh, well, I mean, usually when you get sore, it's because you, you just did something you're not used to doing, whether it was a lot more repetitions or time than usual or a brand new exercise or you're just your brand new to to fitness. Um, the other reason is you're under eating, you're under recovering. So um, I'm, I'm not a real big believer in, in overtraining, but I'm a big believer in under resting and under eating. Um, and you certainly can't overtrain, but most of the time it's because you're not eating enough. You're not resting enough. Um, if, if the biggest gauge of whether or not you're overdoing it is, are you still progressing? So week to week, assuming you're you're quantifying measuring your progress you know with your lifts or how many sets you're able to do the same weight or decreased rest times and performing the same amount of reps you have some kind of metric by which you're quantifying your progress if you are not progressing generally you're either overdoing it or under eating and soreness is not always the best uh metric to gauge whether you had a good workout people think have this idea that if you're not sore you didn't do enough and that's not true your body's a very adaptive machine I rarely ever get sore now. It's because I've been training for 15 years. So, um, but, but early on in the new stages of, of training, you're going to get really sore. Um, so assuming that you're, you know, you're eating enough, you're sleeping enough, you're drinking enough water. Um, there's certain things you can do as well. Epsom salt baths are great um, because they contain magnesium that you absorb transdermally through your skin. And that's really, really good for your muscles, really good for your body. Magnesium is a mineral that a lot of people are deficient on and forms a lot of things in your body. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I would say the sauna can be a good, good tool. It's not going to completely get rid of it, but the sauna can help you detoxify a little bit, get, get rid of some of that lactic acid and then being active. Um, a lot of times it's counterintuitive to go move the muscle that you just destroyed the previous day. But if you just train legs and you're super, super sore, go get on a bike and, and pedal it out a little bit. You'll get that lactic because lactic acid was making you sore. So if you go and you, and you, move the muscle a little bit and, and pump that through your body, kind of distribute a little more, you can get rid of some of that soreness and, and nine times out of 10, you'll feel better after moving a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, moving, getting that blood flow and, and uh, I, I like that a lot. What, what do you call that? It, that's active uh, recovery, active right? Rest. Active recovery. Yeah. Perfect. So um, how, how would you keep motivated and consistent? Like what is tools that you use to, get motivated and be consistent. This is something I learned with time. Motivation is fleeting. You know, motivation comes and goes. 
motivation is what you feel when you leave church, you know, motivation is what you feel when you watch a good Mark Wahlberg movie. Like it's, it's uh, and I'm using not, not, maybe not boogie nights, but probably uh, <laughs> invincible is a good example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, if you leave, if you leave a movie feeling really good, that's motivation. That's going to fade by the next morning. So what you need is the habits uh, consistently that will give you success. And, and that is, that is how I have always stayed motivated unknowingly because I had good habits in place discipline will succeed where motivation fails right so you have to have the discipline to integrate the the positive habits in your life that are going to lead to these long-term successes you can't you can't rely on motivation because you're not always going to feel like going to the gym you're not always going to feel like eating right you know i don't you think i always feel like cooking every time no i got uber eats right here in my hand and all it takes is one click and i got mcdonald's at my door but <laughs> discipline <laughs> the habit of of cooking and the habit of you know those results the habit of of every little thing that I do that has culminated to give me what I have now in terms of my, my physique at six, five is, is that's what, that's what created not, not being super motivated every day. There's days when I don't want to go to the fucking gym, dude. I don't want to go. Sometimes I hate going to the gym. You know? yeah. I, just, I don't I'm doing the same monotonous stuff every time, but it's a habit. I'm so used to it. Like even in basic training, when we only had like 20 pound dumbbells and I was in like a, a, a poverty caloric deficit, I was still lift every day just to, to do it and rasp, I did the same thing. You know, we'd go on a 12 mile ruck march and I go to the gym after, not because it was benefiting me, just because it was a habit and something I was, I'd always done. So you have to make the good habits that lead to success as automatic as, you know, things like turning on a light switch when you turn, walk into a room to see, you know, that's automatic. You just do it. You want to, you, when you create a habit, you have four stages. This is coming from straight from atomic habits, the book, you have the cue, the craving, the response, the result, right? So cue, you walk into a dark room, it's dark. Craving, I crave light so I can see. Uh, response, you turn on the light so you can see the reward, now I can see. That's how we develop every single habit we have subconsciously. The trick is making the habits that lead to success as automatic as that initial turning on the light. And when that becomes automatic, that's when you will progress and progress and progress to somewhere you never thought you would possibly be. Where I'm at right now in my career and, and my relationship and just in general, I ne if you had told me what I'm doing right now, uh, two years ago, I would have thought I would have just laughed in your face. I would say, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to make online coaching a career. There's no way I'm going to date that girl. She looks like a supermodel. There's no way I'm going to, you know, have this, this beautiful child and, and have all these things going at once and, and multiple income streams and, you know, helping this many people and have this many results. There's no way, but it happened because I, I started doing things every single day that, you know, didn't happen overnight, but now I'm there. And, and, I, and now where I can be a year from now is even more and a year from then even more because of those habits. Yeah. I love that. Developing habits, making it a lifestyle. Again, it's a marathon. It's not a race. And um, yeah, there's days where I don't feel like training or, or working out and uh, half the battle more, I would say more than half is just showing up. So making it a routine and knowing I'm going to go at this time. And yeah, there's times where I get in the car and I'm like, Ugh, like dead. Yeah. And I do. That's so true, man. Yeah. <laughs> cause, cause once you're there, it's hard. It's hard. You're not going to turn around and go home. Right. So yeah, just the mere habit of driving there was once you're there, you're like, all right, I'll do it. Absolutely, man. Yeah. When you train on your worst days, that's what really makes somebody better. Not training on your good days, training on your worst days. 100%. So, yeah. Motivation is fleeting and just making things routine. I liked it a lot. Uh, Okay, so final question. I had a uh, I had a question about foot care and RASP. For it's kind of for both of us. I'll let you 
take it first because it's more than just RASP. It's regiment and uh, that oh, entire yeah. lifestyle deployments. Like uh, a lot of people are so concerned with RASP, it doesn't end. Look, RASP is just the walking up to what you're really going to do because regiment is a whole nother beast. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's be clear, man. I mean, RASP, in my opinion, is way too easy. I think that when they went from RIP to RASP, it was a huge mistake. I understand that they were trying to get uh, quality people and not get them injured, but at the same time, you get a lot more or less qual- – I mean, I graduated with guys that couldn't even do five pull-ups, you know, or, or barely got five pull-ups on that on that test. And come on, I like it's, it's you had guy not that pull-ups measure the soldier, but just physically they were not ready. They were, I mean, that guy can't pull me out of a compound. My big ass goes down a compound. I'm not going to rely on that guy to pull me out. So you have to have a minimum level, I think, of of, of physicality. But aside from that, foot care. Um, Man, and that that is even more important for guys like myself who are a little heavier because you have that much more force on your feet. Um, I think that, man, for me, number one was insoles. And they're going to tell you you can't wear them. What are they going to do? Check your boots. I, I wore them the entire time. Um, so important. Insoles, yeah, have, having footwear that is made for your foot. I wore orthotics. Um, me too. I had orthotics. Yeah, there you go. Two smart guys. Two, yeah. two healthy feet right here. <laughs> so, yeah, um, well, four healthy feet. We still have both of them, but it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, orthotics are, uh, in my opinion, I mean, and not, you don't even have to have a foot issue, but just getting something molded to your foot that's made for your foot, uh, you'll have so much less problems than other guys because your foot's not going to be sliding around. Um, you're not going to have arch issues. You're not going to have plantar fasciitis. You're going to be going through, you're going to be breezing through all that. And you're that having your foot positioned correctly and your arch supported, it affects your entire posterior chain. Yes. So you're not going to get the little anterior tibialis injuries, the, the IT band injuries, the patellar tendonitis that other guys are sustaining. I did not get injured at all until the big – when I hurt my back, which had nothing to do with my feet. Um, I, but I had no, none of those tendonitis overuse injuries uh, all through basic, all through RASP, airborne, all that stuff. I had nothing because that – probably that. And I foam rolled a lot. Um, foam roller saved my life, I think. Yeah. But uh, aside from the orthotics, to prevent friction, you'll, you'll read all kinds of different things. Uh, the thing I did was I wore, and this is going to sound weird, I wore pantyhose. I wore pantyhose inside uh, just a regular pair of socks. And I put foot powder inside that to keep my foot cool and keep it from warming up, like the gold bond, I think. And I kept it cool because my, my feet get really hot. And it's everybody's different with this stuff. Um, that was enough to only, I only think I got maybe like two or three blisters the entire, I think you're going to get them no matter what with a red yeah. march. Like you're, you're going to get them on your heel somewhere because it's just too much weight over and over and over repetitively for something not to happen. Like you're going to get something, but the guys that had blood coming through their shoes and guys that were just like destroying their feet, they weren't doing this type of stuff. But that, that is all I did. I, I used the, the pantyhose. If I had a real long l- ruck march, if I, it was like a six miler, I wouldn't even wear the pantyhose, but did pantyhose and uh, gold bond foot powder and the orthotics and that I was good to go. Yeah, it's a that's an interesting trick. Uh, and, and I agree with the orthotics. Your foot strike. There's so much that goes into that. If you got flatter feet, uh, I got flat feet, pancake feet, pretty much, and so that can lead to knee problems, uh, hip problems. Goes up to the back. I mean, it runs all the way up. That that force, if it's not carrying right up your chain, you're going to have issues. So. Uh, I think orthotics is a good tool. Um, also, just going to kind of piggyback off that. I 
really think it's important through any type of ranger training to keep your feet as dry as possible sometimes i mean i've been in situations where it's rained for 10 days straight and uh and you know you got to walk through swamps or water or whatever so that's where we take the trick of foot powder and changing your socks because you want to keep your feet dry i've gotten trench foot before it looks disgusting if you've ever seen trench foot if you haven't go google trench foot uh the bottom of my foot looked like a sponge and it's absolutely disgusting looking so uh, and that has to do with, you know, the probably fungus and some other things. I don't know what exactly. I'll, that'd be interesting to look up what actually, actually causes a, a trench foot because I had to put some antifungal powder on there. But just keeping your feet dry and, you know, changing socks and things like that is my is my tip as well. Yeah, you got to, I mean, it, it's that moisture that accumulates over time. It's, it's, I mean, if you take your fingers out of the pool water after, you know, 50, 30 minutes, they're all wrinkly. Yes. That's like your foot times 100 with trench yes. foot. Yes. At some point, your skin has to dry. And if it's just constantly wet, that's going to happen. I, I made sure I took, I took Ziploc bags or, or weatherproof bags with my socks in them and, and a shirt because that's something that you really appreciate when you're out in the field for six days. It's been raining. And then all of a sudden you put on a dry shirt. You're like, oh, it's just like a, it's like putting on Jesus's hair or something. It feels so good. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and having the dry feet as well. It's, it's, that's so important because if you can't, your feet are what you're on all day. If you can't, if they're not working, you're screwed. So that has to be your number one priority. Yeah, I agree. And if not orthotics, just some good insoles or uh, some boots that are, are really just made for your feet and worn in. I mean, I, I still think insoles are, and, and you can, if you go, the best thing you can do with this is, and this just goes for your running shoes as well, because you run a lot in the military, go to a specialty running store so they can assess your gait and give you footwear that is made for your foot. Now, the hack that I did was I took the insoles out of those shoes and put them in my boots that I was going to do a lot of military PT in. Yeah. I had like the Rocky CT4s, the, the, the really light boots. And I put my running insoles in those boots and I was flying. I was like Usain Bolt with my boots, man. <laughs> nobody, could, nobody could catch me, but um, but for your running shoes, which is very important as well, you're gonna be running a lot of distance running and this generation is not as, uh, is, is not as durable as the generations that preceded it because we're more sedentary, more indoors, video games, merge, all that stuff. So you have to be even more careful with your running footwear because you'll get stress fractures, you'll get ankle injuries, you'll get, you know, uh, shin splints, all that stuff. If you're wearing improper footwear. Yeah. I talk about that a lot. It's kind of like, okay, here's the best way. Whenever you do activity whether it be lifting or impact type activity like running, uh, you want to progress into those things. You don't want to go out there day one if you're highly sedentary and go rock 12 miles right away because you're more prone to injury. You kind of want to work your way up. It's kind of like whenever you do activity or you do impact type stuff, you're calcifying your bones, you're building your muscles. And uh, that's, that's a good point. You know, more our culture now is more, we have video games and we don't go outside as much. So, people aren't as active. That all has to do with activity. It's kind of like if you look at uh, a Muay Thai fighter and he's kicking a bamboo tree in half. Yeah, he's conditioned for that. If I take somebody off the street and I say, hey, kick that bamboo tree, their leg's going <laughs> to snap, okay? It's, mm -hmm. You have to condition for that. So, again, when, I, when we were talking about marathon, not a race, just know you're working your way up to that. I talk about this a lot uh, about – the soft prep programs and you've probably seen some of this too a lot of those guys are like here's a four-hour workout that everybody should be doing it's not feasible it's not safe that same thing happens in bodybuilding magazines you'll see uh, jay cutler's workout and it's like 
33 sets of chest and you wonder why people are both not progressing and injuring themselves on that workout. I'm like, God, why would you recommend that dude? Like they're not on, they're not on the whole, the drugs that you are. Yeah. (laughs) Why would you do a professional bodybuilders workout? Like that is, that is the number one mistake you could make as someone as just your average person going to the gym. I mean, I I know I couldn't do it. If I went and tried to do that workout right now, I would, I would tear my shoulder out of place. The same thing with running. When I asked uh, my track coach at my high school, because I was getting ready for the military and I want to be, I was never a distance runner. I was always a sprinter. And so I was like, hey, man, how can I get my two-mile time down? Should I do a lot more sprinting workout? He's like, no, you should gradually increase your distance every week. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, if you can run, you know, 20-plus miles in a week, that two-mile test is going to be nothing for you. And I was like, okay. So every week I would increase like half a mile, and that's it. And I had like seven, eight months to prepare. I was very lucky. But by, by the end of that eight months, I was running, you know, 18 to 20 plus miles a week uh, in little increments. I didn't run them all at once. Obviously, I'd run like three miles here, five miles here, three miles here, you know, and build up. And But I worked up to that over time. I started with three miles in a week, you know, half mile here, a mile here and whatever. And then slowly progressed to that. And, and that's the best way to become a better distance runner. People think that to get that two mile time down or the five mile time down to regiment, they need to go do that and do it as fast as they can. But if you can run a further distance than that with ease, that five miles is going to be nothing. Yeah. That's great advice and great tips. And with that, is there any final thoughts that you have for people? Any final tips that you want to give people? Um, well, I mean, you know, when it, we, we talk, we, I kind of brush the surface on, you know, how to gain weight, how to lose weight. There's a lot more to that subject. I mean, I told you strictly calorie wise what you should be doing, but you know, um, what you're, what you're eating goes into it as well. You know, gut health, we talked, I'm glad we talked about about that. Um, food quality is very important. Um, macros do play a big part, you know, how much protein versus how much carbs, how much fat. Um, but when it comes down to it, man, I guess the thing I want to just kind of leave with on the nutrition front is, you know, learn how to track your calories and not, with the idea that you're going to do it forever because that's not sustainable. I wouldn't recommend anyone do it forever. That's kind of, that makes life not fun. Um, But if you do it for a certain amount of time, you will at least learn what to look at as far as portions go. You'll look at, you'll start to learn, okay, so I get a lot of fat from this food. I'm eating a lot. Maybe I can cut down on that and get more of this food. You know, Oh, I didn't even realize there's so much calories in this. You start to become calorie conscious and over that, that in and of itself is a huge skill to have. Because now you have an eye for portions. You have an eye for what a plate of food should look like. You know what you get from this food versus this food. And if nothing else, that can help you lose a lot of weight and get in really good shape just by making that transition to being conscious of what you're eating. And that's, that's like, if I could say one thing, that's like the one thing I would say in regards to people who want to, are struggling with weight loss or want to gain weight because all the, all the guys that come to me say they can't gain weight because they're, they just, oh, I'm eating everything inside. I still can't gain weight. They're never eating enough, ever. They're eating half what they think they should be. So it's, uh, it, that's, that's what I would, I would recommend. And, um, and yeah, if anyone has any other questions, just reach directly out to me. I'm, I'm a human. <laughs> Great. And I'll leave all your info and stuff in the, uh, in the bio and stuff so people can reach you if they want to. And thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. Hey, thank you, man. It was great being here. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time as well. And, and uh, I look forward to our future endeavors. Yes, sir. All right. I'm going to do my outro here. If you guys have been listening this long, you're awesome. Hope you have a great day. Take care. <laughs>